Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and we hope you're enjoying your weekend. Lexington has been trying to get a handle on violence that has rattled the city. Police have changed some of their strategies. Mayor Gorton has started new programs and this week there was even a prayer service to seek divine intervention to bring an end to the shootings and other crimes. One of the initiatives is One Lexington, which is run by Lexington activist and hip-hop artist Divine Karama. Lexington is his hometown. Karama has worked hard to find ways to get young people engaged in rewarding activities and to shun violence. There's been some success given that most of the shootings in the situations this year have involved older victims and suspects. But everybody knows violence is a top concern in the city and it has landed as a main issue in the mayor's race as well. One Lexington director, Divine Karama, is joining us. Thanks for coming. We appreciate oh, no it very problem. much. Uh, Divine, this city has uh, been through a lot of violence uh, once again in recent months. Your program really got ramped up uh, earlier in the year. Is anything working to slow it down? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, just prayers and thoughts to all the survivors, um, family members of the victims. It has definitely been, been a tough, tough year. Um, to answer your question, I think we're seeing some progress among youth and young adults. Um, we've seen the, the gun-related homicides come down about 50%. Um, we've had a decrease in, in shootings, and I think that is because of the direct, intentional work of One Lexington and its community partners focusing on that age group. But what we um, didn't predict this year is um, so many of our older individuals being involved in gun violence and then domestic violence has really played a huge part um, and a third of our homicides this year domestic violence related. Another thing is that this has really spread out around the city and people yes. are seeing this uh, you know, on almost every corridor of, of town and in neighborhoods uh, uh, things have been happening. That has been attention getting uh, to, to people uh, across the city. It is and one thing just doing these different community forums um, working within the school system we are now getting calls from schools that um, in the past didn't seek our services as far as mentoring and extra support but because like you said gun violence is now impacting all of us um, you're seeing more people want to be a part of the solution which honestly is what it's going to take it's not a one mayor a one strategy it is going to be an all hands on deck and lexington has never seen this level of gun violence so we're still building that infrastructure of unity that some of these other cities have and that it's going to take to see us decrease gun violence in all spectrums, you know, not just for youth and young adults, but all across the board. How do you convince everybody that they have a stake in this? Uh, yeah. You know, as you say, <laughs> if it happens in a neighborhood, then, oh my goodness, you know, for a little while there's some concern, but yeah. how do you convince, you know, everybody in town, the businesses, the uh, residents in, in neighborhoods that maybe have seen less of this until now, sure. uh, that they uh, need to get involved. Sure. I, I think it's two things. One is we have to amplify the voices of the survivors. I think oftentimes it's the activists like myself. It's the politicians that are out there talking about it. But what about those who have been impacted themselves, who have lost loved ones, who have been shot themselves. I think when people hear their voice, I think it hits a little different. And then the second thing um, to what you said, I think when you look in the newspaper and from week to week you see a shooting at a frat house on a college campus, 
to um, an affluent neighborhood to a more urban neighborhood when you start seeing these issues everywhere I think it's really hard for people to ignore it and say hey this isn't our problem this is a one neighborhood problem this is a gang problem no this is a Lexington issue and so all of us got to be a part of um, us seeing better days and so when there is somebody out there asking what can they do yeah. uh, what is your answer there's so much that can be done, especially from a preventative standpoint. Um, obviously, intervention is the hot button issue. You know, things like GVI have come up, other programs, things that um, people hope can stop the shooting now. Um, but I think ways people can get involved is the preventative measures. How can we mentor? How can we give back to the elementary and middle school kids? How can we focus on some of the root causes that um, will not lead us back here in another five to ten years? And those are things everybody can do. Everybody can go to elementary school and read the kids. Everybody can volunteer and serve a family that's been impacted by gun violence. And when we look at it as um, I don't have to be a street outreach worker to help. I think that's when you get more people a part of the fold and so that's challenged me as a director. How can I make it clear? Clear ways people can be a part of the solution. You have been uh, really in the trenches though. You uh, meet with victims. Uh, some may yes. not realize that but sometimes even uh, in the hours after a shooting you're there. Yeah. And what is that like? Um, it is um, it's gut-wrenching. It's, it's heavy. Um, but at the same token, it keeps me informed and puts me in a position to possibly stop retaliatory incidences. Um, we don't talk about that a lot um, because there's components to this work that we, we can't share via social media. Um, but being present with survivors and victims is a large part of the job um, because their emotions are running high. You have family members who want to retaliate. Um, you have some that fall into depression. They're already dealing with disparities and barriers, and those are exacerbated, um, which could lead to future violent incidences or worse. And so um, being supportive of survivors is a big part of the job. You also, and, and you made reference to this, but you conduct these uh, gun violence uh, seminars, and yeah. you ha had one recently at uh, Tate's Creek in this last week. Uh, you uh, talked with folks out there. Yeah. What, how does that go? It is um, very important if you are a public servant, um, whether in politics or not, it is, um, it is a mandate um, that your job provides spaces where residents can come in and tell you how they feel about what's impacting them. And so um, we're conducting a, a community forum on gun violence in every district over the next calendar year. We have Wood Hill coming up. Um, that's the seventh district, I believe. We just did the eighth district. And so it's emotional. You have people who have lost loved ones to gun violence. You have people who have never seen gun violence until this year, all in one room, um, really releasing how they feel, asking questions, what's being done. And I think us in leadership, um, you have to create those spaces for people to speak to you directly. What are the kinds of questions you ask when you're out there and you're conducting one of these forums and you, you're trying to get information, sure. uh, but at the same time asking maybe questions that may lead people to their own conclusions sure. about what might be a better path? Um, two questions I ask. First and foremost is um, what barriers are there? What do you need? What can we 
um, barriers can we help eliminate so your community can thrive and feel safe? So we first want to know what they need, what they feel, because they're living in these communities every day. The second thing is um, there's a misconception that government um, can fix everything, right? Um, when in reality, any great movement starts from within a community. And so my second question is, what can you do to make your community safer? What can you do um, to make your community better? And if there are barriers, then our job in government is to remove those barriers. So those are usually my two questions. Would it be better if uh, neighborhood associations and, and other such groups uh, got very active in this sort of thing uh, as well across the city? Yes. Uh, obviously, they... Uh, you know, you have a lot to discuss from the condition of the sidewalks to, to yeah. you know, who, who <laughs> right. parked an RV in the wrong place kind of thing. You That's know. right. Uh, but uh, if, if they had some discussion of this, would that be helpful? I think so. And we've pushed um, some of those. And we've seen the Northside Neighborhood um, Association. We've seen Georgetown Street, William Wells Brown, the East End Neighborhood Association pick this issue up and they have been talking about it internally and so I'm with you that's where it starts we can talk and debate about everything else from sports to sidewalks but what about something that is threatening the quality of life of all of Lexington um, and two I think it creates a space for some difficult conversations maybe some that have been avoided for a long time um, a lot of these people that have been impacted by gun violence um, have been in this cycle because of certain systemic disparities, um, because of some root things, and, and, and we got to talk about those. How is this hurting the image of the city? Uh, you know, there are a lot, a lot of people don't want to talk about the fact that yeah. there are uh, real estate uh, uh, type decisions and, and business decisions that are being made based on uh, some concerns people have about this. Yeah, I think that that's a real thing. Obviously, my first instinct is. Um, you know, I'm more worried about um, those being directly impacted. Sure. But your question is very honest and real because for our city to continue to thrive, you have to have people invest and want to be in this city because that helped lift the entire city. And so I do think it's an, an issue and, you know, and that is definitely something in our mind when we're doing our work. If there is progress with young folks, as you're indicating, and the numbers are getting better there, and maybe yeah. some of what you're doing is effective there, uh, and the suspects are, and the victims are older, does there need to be a separate program that targets that issue? Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of the work that um, Tiffany um, Brown is doing in our office, she's the equity implementation officer, she focuses on a lot of root causes. Um, that impact that older demographic. Um, she recently had a, a, an expungement clinic where I think over 200 individuals came in, get their record expunged so they can find employment, which hopefully will remove them from that cycle of violence. Um, but then also I think we got to understand once you get to an older population, enforcement um, is one of the bigger deterrents. Um, and so I think our police officer being um, depleted the way that they are, I think that that has something to do with it. Um, they are working hard. Um, they are working double time. Um, they are doing great work. Um, but I think you got to keep that in mind as well. As you know, and you mentioned again, the, the, the group violence intervention, the GVI piece that yeah. has been debated a lot, and as you know, is mixed up in the mayor's race uh, yes. right now. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it, the mayor has, is, has determined that it would not work in Lexington. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it sounds like some of what you're doing is is some of that type of work. Yeah. Uh, but there, but she has a, a concern about some particular things. Yes, her her and the chief, and I think that there's GVI, but then there's CVI, and so CVI is community violence intervention, and so they're similar in the components of community activists going out and actually touching and getting in tune with those who are in the cycle of violence, those who are doing the shooting, but those who are victims. But I think the part that um, our chief and our mayor is really worried about, and if I'm honest myself as well, is just um, the proponents where we're calling in individuals who may or may not be involved in that cycle of violence, depending on what they look like and where they live. And when we've talked to other cities, they said that that has set the relations back between underserved communities communities and police officers decades um, that approach and then also just judging by the data we haven't seen it be impactful in 2021 and 2022 six seven years ago GVI had an impact in some cities but six seven years ago Lexington what we were doing was working too and so um, if it worked and if it was something we didn't think was detrimental to um, the community trust me um, we, we would implement it is it helpful or hurtful to have this all happening in a political season uh, because it is you know it's forcing conversations that, is, that might otherwise uh, uh, not be held that's right? true that's yeah. true and I think that just the structure of our democracy that's always a good thing but for me um, somebody whose work relies on um, unification community support um, it definitely is a lot harder to get that unified support around some pretty practical things when you're in the middle of an election season. And so regardless of where the election goes, I really think once we move beyond this political season, I really think you'll start to see elements of our, our community come back together as one. And that's really the only way we're going to see um, progress long term. You told me months ago that uh, you were surprised and disappointed by the way things have turned in the city that you grew up in and know yes. so well. Does the nostalgia of a more peaceful time when people could play and walk the streets uh, freely and, and enjoy themselves on a, on a nice evening uh, have some power of its own when you, when you think back? I mean, aren't people hoping to regain that uh, sense of ownership of their community? They are. You know, underneath the trauma, underneath the shock, underneath of waking up every other morning and seeing the headlines of another shooting, when I'm out in the different neighborhoods, when I'm because I'm out there, you do get this sense of we can regain this back. We can regain our city back. And when we did um, the prayer visual the other night, you had all those different faith leaders and community partners there. You had that sense that we're going to we're going to beat this. Um, we're going to get back to those days where you didn't have to second guess going to the mall, going to a football game. And I think we're going to get back there. I think we're on the right track. It's just been a rough, rough year. What do you need right now? Well, we always need people. Um, we always need people. Right now we are in 17 different schools. We have in-school mentoring programs, so we're always looking for guest speakers. Um, we are always serving. I was just on the phone with some um, gunshot survivors um, from some of the recent spikes in violence. And so they need different things from mental health services to groceries. Some of them have um, fell into depression, haven't worked for a while. So there's always um, a, a broader village needed to support those survivors. 
um, continue prayer and just staying active understand what's going on go beyond just the headlines and and really research and see what's going on divine you have a footprint beyond uh, lexington you have the uh, coat drive and you're going to concentrate on uh, eastern kentucky this year which yes. uh, has had this horrible flooding situation there in uh, terrible need up there as you know and as the cooler air sets in you know you begin to feel the holidays aren't that far away they, right? they are not um and and obviously this is our ninth year doing our coat drive we've given away over 15,000 brand new coats the last eight years we service central and eastern Kentucky obviously eastern Kentucky was hit hard by the floods we're already getting calls from our partners there and so the need this year is going to be great um, with inflation and that extra need we're really gonna need the community to come together and um, we do brand new coats only um, obviously we just don't want to provide a coat but we want to inspire and obviously for health reasons right coming out of a pandemic and so um, we need donations we need volunteers and, and we look to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in eastern kentucky as well as right here in lexington how can people find out more about that um, they can go to our website believinginforever.com um, or they can find us on facebook um, believing in forever inc and everything will be posted there and then one lexington has its own uh, uh, yep. social media and so if you go to facebook um, one lexington and if you go to the city's website um, you just click on the tab search for one Lexington and we'll pop up all of our initiatives all the things that we're doing is there and so um, we would love have to have people get more involved there as well divine Karama thank you for coming in we appreciate, I appreciate you. all the work you're doing thank you and stay with us we'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers on WKYT. It's been nearly two months since deadly flooding devastated eastern Kentucky. Forty people died in the aftermath of the flooding. Relief efforts have started in the wake of the flood, and hundreds of travel trailers have been brought in to give families temporary places to live. This week, Governor Bashir delivered more than a half million dollars to two counties to help with ongoing recovery efforts. In the last month and a half, what people experienced in eastern Kentucky was both catastrophic and traumatic to them. We have seen the visible scars of flooding play out right before our eyes, but it's what we don't see in those waters and what was left behind uh, that is creating an even deeper and darker mark on communities and the people where it all happened. Amber recently traveled back to talk to some of the youngest flood victims and to see how one community center opened its doors in the wake of what happened to be an outlet for a mental health break. It is a soothing sound, meant to be relaxing. The water here in this Letcher County community flows to a place that was spared when the water wasn't so tranquil. Cowan Community Center has been a part of the community since I was a young girl. Valerie Horn calls this little slice of heaven tucked outside of Whitesburg a blessed ground. The space is, is a comforting space and a healing space. The Cowan Community Center has been serving children and families in this area for more than 50 years. We were also very fortunate when, when we could reach the space to learn that it had not flooded. But Horn knew the devastation around it was widespread and a place already dealing with so much. No one deserves the disaster to have their home swept out from under them in the dark of the night and the early morning. And it was then that Horn knew this space of serving would play a part in the healing moving forward. 
within a few days we realized that this was a critical space that needed to be utilized also and we opted to go with what we do best and what we know best. And that's children. And for many, the scars of flooding are now deep-rooted. I hear from parents just, just yesterday talking here. One, had, her child had worried when it began to rain. We need to get home. It's going to flood. We need to get home. It's going to flood. The center's traditional summer program shifted into a place of escape for both children who experienced flooding and those who didn't to come together. Meals were provided and simple things like games and art allowed for emotions and healing to play out in a very normal way. Uh -huh. Their well-being and their mental health has been a priority and I think what has happened is a lot have just have had their 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 safety sh shaken. Andrew is one of those. Uh, like all the houses that got like swooped away and uh, like all the water just slid it away. But despite losing everything, Andrew and his sister Ada have found joy in just being kids here at Cowan. It's home. It feels like home. Being family means we help each other and we're nice to each other. It's not always just play. The team here has had outside help in mental health training and a lot of times it's about just listening. We sat in on a moment where talking about your feelings was okay. I'm really proud of all of you and the help that you're sharing. You quickly understand that everyone here, no matter the age, has been affected and that these youngsters have been looking out for one another. It's been terrible. I mean, I, I, I didn't go through that, but seeing them get rid of their house just makes me feel bad. Kristen Polly is 11. Her family lost everything in their home and have been relocated several times. She was supposed to start middle school this year. Honestly, it's really devastating to see all this happen, especially downtown in Wattsburg. Kristen, being a little older, has been able to be a listening ear herself to those younger. She shares a bond with so many because of the flooding, but she admits talking to others about it has helped her own mental health. It helps like take stuff off from your chest. Like It helps you let stuff out and talk about it makes it more a little bit lighter for you and to carry on. This sign at Cowan really says it all. We love our children. And in a place where Valerie Horn says there's a tradition of just being tough and accepting the circumstances, she hopes that in the aftermath of flooding, these children know that healing takes time, but it starts at a place where love flows stronger than water. There's, there's a lot of resiliency in these youth. Amber Philpott with that story and students in Letcher County return to school uh, tomorrow and there of course is hope that they will continue to uh, be able to do well in school and the healing process can uh, come along and provide some more normalcy. In just a moment we're going to hear from Thomas Tolliver and his activity in the east end of Lexington is quite interesting. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Decades of commitment were recognized this past week in Lexington. Thomas Tolliver is this year's Lexington Community Champion. The ceremony was held in Charles Young Park in the city's east end. Its location is fitting for a man like Tolliver who has dedicated the last 28 years of his life to uncovering the community's history. Amber Philpott has that story. 
For a man like Thomas Tolliver, living in Lexington's East End is more than a home. One of the things I've worked on, um, one of the things I've been passionate about in the East End is uncovering and celebrating this neighborhood's rich history. He moved to the East End in the summer of 1994. Within two or three months of moving here, I was just bitten by that history bug. Since then, he spent the last 28 years researching and uncovering history in the neighborhood. He's made it his mission to bring that history to the surface and honor people in the community. He was instrumental in helping to get the Isaac Murphy Art Garden built. It sits on East 3rd Street with a 16-foot-tall stainless steel piece of art at the center. I say that my impact on the neighborhood stretches from the Lyric Theater to the Isaac Murphy Art Garden. At the Lyric Theater, a brick sits outside honoring Tolliver. Oh, that says simply, Thomas Tolliver, East End activist. Because of the work he's done, the city of Lexington recognized him as the 2022 Lexington Community Champion. The award, founded by American in Bloom Lexington, awards people who serve their communities, bringing positive news to light. Is it all negative news? No. Uh, there's so much good going on in our community. The organization will plant a daffodil drift of 1,000 bulbs on Shropshire Avenue for Tolliver. They'll be planted this November. Their, their life is short, but they give us an immense um, beauty while they're here, and you can't not recognize them. And uh, I'm proud to be affiliated with a daffodil drift. I can't think of a uh, more appropriate award. Tolliver knows he won't be here forever, and he hopes someone new steps up and takes over the work he's done. I hope somebody will come along, somebody younger, 20 years younger than I, take up that, um, that charge and not let uh, this history be lost or this, this, this momentum that we have in researching and uh, uncovering our history be lost. Congratulations to Thomas Tolliver, who, by the way, back in the day, was a reporter for the Lexington Herald-Leader. And last year, the late council member Jake Gibbs was the city's community champion. A reminder, we're now closing in on about six weeks away from the November election, so we'll be studying up, especially on those uh, amendments that will be on the ballot, amendments one and two. We'll have more details, of course, as we get closer on that. WKYT will be presenting a mayoral debate in partnership with the League of Women Voters. Our work Working date for that right now is Monday, October 17th. We anticipate airing that at 7 o'clock on the CW Lexington. We'll keep you posted as we nail down the details. Next week on Kentucky Newsmakers, here we plan to feature interviews with candidate for Lexington Mayor David Kloiber and candidate for Fayette County Coroner Larry Owens. Stay with WKYT News for all the latest. Follow me on Twitter at KY Newsmakers for political and news updates. And that is Kentucky Newsmakers for this week. We hope you make it a good week ahead.